Hello, welcome. This is Jennifer back for episode 16 um, from the Just Love podcast. Today, I am fortunate to be in a yoga studio with Miss Casey Harnady and um, excited for you all to get to know her and learn a little bit of her story. So welcome, Casey. How are you? Thank you so much for having me. I am doing fantastic. So um, this this morning, I actually attended your yoga class, and I'm not even sure what it was called or what type of yoga it was. If you want to just talk about what we experienced this morning. This morning was interesting. Um, typically, the class is a vinyasa, all levels. Um, but lately, my classes have been very focused around bhakti. Uh, devotion. And yeah, so I talked a bit about that, read some excerpts from one of my new favorite books called The Path of Love. And it was just flowy. Um, I definitely always have kind of Ashtanga roots to my teachings. Um, So I'm not familiar with Ashtanga practice. If you Mm want to just talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So there's a few lineages of yoga and I trained Ashtanga, which can be a very regimented type of practice. Um, so typically we would start standing. We have a chant, a student teacher mantra that we chant to each other. And then we start with five sun A's, five sun B's, just to warm the body. What is the sun A? Did we do that you this morning? You did a morning? couple vinyasas. Okay. Yes. Um, we didn't do any B's. But um, we do this to warm the body because you're really warming all of the muscles in the body that we'll use for the different sequences. So then we go into standing and then they'll be seated. There will be back bending, um, maybe some inversion work, but that's really a long style practice. Mm -hmm. So in vinyasa, I just kind of pick pieces um, and add it in to make it kind of flowy, but focus a lot on breath work. That's kind of my forte. I was, um, so the only other class that I've taken in this studio, well, I've taken a strength class mm-hmm. and then also I, I know it as in all levels, but I'm not even sure what it was. <laughs> it was with Dave. Um, okay. I think, um, when I started the practice with you this morning, I think you have, you hooked me at Bhakti when you mm-hmm. described what Bhakti is and the practice of Bhakti and you went into the definition of love mm. and the connectivity that exists amongst us all. And um, I, I said, well, oh, my gosh, that's appropriate because she's coming on to Just Love yeah. podcast. Mm. And so my premise is that, you know, we all come from struggle and fear mm. and we all have obstacles and challenges in life. But it's how do we get to the point that our actions and our choices are made from love? and not fear. And as I was a a young mother and, you know, you're going through the terrible twos or the the threes with your children, I remember I always would just take their little hand in mine and just whisper, just love. And that's kind of how the title, that's where the title for this podcast in my column came from, is that how important is to remember where am I coming from in this moment? So when, so <laughs> it's just, it's one of those, like, it's a mantra, it's my own personal mantra that yeah. has gotten me through some, some challenging situations. But when I was on the mat, mm-hmm. not knowing you and experiencing your class for the first time, and I listened as you took the time to create a space 
and to define define what this practice was going to be this morning, I thought, oh my gosh, this is so beautiful. And I'm impressed. I'm so very impressed. Thank you. Um, I have to tell you, I was practicing next to a friend um, in your class and mm -hmm. we got done and she said, she's one of the kindest humans I know, but she said, I'm so impressed that we made it through that <laughs> because you, you, you have some challenging moves and I'm not you specifically, but the practice itself. Sure. And I don't know if you wanna highlight um, some of those myths and maybe the purpose behind it for those of us that aren't as familiar with yoga, like why do we practice? Why do we put our intention and will forward to be a part of it? Mm -hmm. What do we get out of it? Like, oh. oh my gosh, yeah. Where do I even begin with that? Um, okay, so we'll start with some of the postures that we did today. So. The standing postures that I chose, mm -hmm. uh, we focus a lot on lunge and strengthening back to pyramid, just to warm hip flexors and hamstrings, which are really big supporting muscles for our, I'll say stronger standing postures or asanas. So from there we come to warrior two. Um, I, you know what, I have such a, I cannot do warrior poses. For whatever, I don't have no idea why, but I always struggle in finding balance and center okay. with them. That's fine. You know, there's so many, there's so many modifications to all of the poses that we choose. And I would say from the beginning, when I first started practicing, um, teaching, I could see a really big disconnect in what was going on in practice. And I think I kind of ran with that as a teacher, which is why I dove so deep into pranayama, which is breath work or unobstruction of the breath, rather. I would find that how am I supposed to be breathing if I'm moving so fast through these postures? So I don't know if I made the comment in this morning's class about power yoga. I said, I'm not really a power yoga fan, <laughs> but you know, a lot of people are, and that's fine. But for me, being a breathwork practitioner and teacher, it's crucial to integrate the two. You're, you can only practice the asana if you're breathing and you have to be breathing properly. And we practice the asana to prepare our bodies to come to meditation. That's the reason why the postures were even created. We're so, you know, monks way, way, way back in the day, centuries ago, could actually sit down in sukhasana, which is cross leg or lotus pose or half lotus pose, padmasana and be able to just sit comfortably because they've opened up their hips and mm -hmm. their knees are feeling good and they can sit and they can breathe and they can just drop into this space of tranquility and space. And, and sometimes for hours. Oh yeah. Yeah. And to simply be. Mm -hmm. So when we're, when we're little and we're fearful mm -hmm. or we're hiding from something or we're trying not to be seen, we teach ourselves to hold our breath. Oh yeah as yeah. a way to protect ourselves. Mm -hmm. And that yeah. kind of goes against everything in yoga. Yeah. So it's almost, I feel like yoga is teaching me to retrain my brain in so many different ways. So much, it, it really does. And I try to explain to students, um, you know, so many things are happening on very subtle levels in the body when we practice. So yes, we're creating shapes, we're strengthening the body which is beautiful, but we're breathing deeply. So when we breathe, what's happening is you're re-oxygenating the blood, you're shifting 
you know, stagnant energy around the body, you're purging. It's the same as we would do if we take, let's say, dandelion root to do a liver cleanse. That's going to help push any toxins out of the liver back into the bloodstream so we can cleanse the body. So breath really has the same goal there. It's trying to help us kind of conjure up anything like deeply rooted and expel it back out. It's going to be on the exhale that we're able to surrender into a posture. And to let posture. go. Let go is kind of the buzzword of the, yeah. the time, right? It's all about, yeah, letting go. I like to say unlearning. So you're unlearning all of the things that you've learned up until today that might be keeping you stuck. So before we get too deep into this podcast, because mm -hmm. I can get sidetracked very oh, easily, yeah. like I wanted to have um, to do an episode with you for a while because mm -hmm. I've kind of not stalking you, but watching you from afar on social media and we have a friend in common and mm -hmm. hearing about you, the way that you move through your life as a yoga practitioner, as a friend, as a person, um, in seeing the things that you focus on on social media and what you post and the adventures you're taking, to me, you epitomize a strong woman and then an amazing human being after that. And I, I know that um, life is hard on all of us, yeah. but for me, when I see people doing such beautiful things, I, I always pause and and I try to take that in and, and to give them space mm -hmm. and to be curious and to see what they're doing. Um, so you're a yogi practitioner. Yes. You work with herbal, herbal remedies. Yes. You have also started, how long have you been doing um, how, retreats, yoga retreats? So I have been running retreats for about eight years. You're really, yeah. I had no idea it was. And yeah. so you have a business formed around your retreats. I do. What is that called? So my business is called Casey's Sacred Space. Um, it used to be just my name, Casey Harnady, and which I love my name. But why do you love your name? I don't know. <laughs> do you love the sound of it or? I love, yeah, it feels feminine. And the way it's spelled is K-A-C-Y. My mm -hmm. dad wanted four-letter names for uh, my brother and my sister and I. What are their names? Katie is my sister, K-A-D-Y. You can imagine the confusion that has brought. <laughs> um, and then my brother, Sean, S-E-A-N. I have other brothers and sisters, too, like from divorces. and mm -hmm. So you were, you've been a part of blended families? Oh, big time, yeah. Really? So more than one or? Oh, yeah. So I Would you mind sharing about that? Oh, no. I love them all so much. Um, my oldest brother and older sister, we all have the same dad. Mm -hmm. And then my dad married my mom and had my next older brother, myself, and my sister. And then my parents divorced when I was quite young. I think it was eight. And my mom has my younger brother. We're 10 years apart. Casey, so um, we have in my family, I'm the youngest of five and there's 15 years between us. Oh, wow. So it creates a whole different family dynamic, so, but I always feel so young, no matter what age mm -hmm. I, I become, <laughs> like, because my siblings are so much older than I am and yeah. I'm still, like, I'll always be the baby. Yeah. Um, 
So being part of multiple blended families mm -hmm. and managing that um, is a beautiful, beautiful thing, but not always the easiest thing in the world. No, it's not always easy. Um, you know, and, and I'm the only one of all of my siblings that does not have children. And so they all have between one and three. Are you the favorite aunt? Um, I like to say yes. <laughs> she has this big <laughs> smile on her face. I'm sure you are. Yes. Um, I have a fur child. I have my fur baby, Maverick, um, who is definitely treated like a human, as they should be. And um, yeah, but... How old is Maverick? He just turned a year in September. And is he a French bulldog? Yes. He's a blue French bulldog. He is the funniest boy in the world. He makes me laugh every single day. Um, he brought me a lot of joy after my Mercy passed away. And her two-year anniversary of passing was um, just this past week on Thursday. And Mercy was a dog Mercy. as well? She was an American bulldog. Isn't the passing of a dog, which I have a hard time calling my dog a dog. Mm -hmm. It is one of the most painful experiences. It I, is the most pain I've ever felt. I think where they give us um, unconditional love mm -hmm. and they just show up for us no matter right. what state we're in. Right. It is, um, I've never lost a child, so I can't compare it, but I, um, I did lose... Um, a dog. And I am so sorry for your loss because I know how deep that pain runs. Yeah. And it's, uh, it was really tough. Um, you know, cause I had her, she lived to be 14, which I'm so grateful for. Um, but we went through a lot together, a lot of relationships, um, moving, you know, around the country and pain. And she was, um, definitely my sidekick. She was your sidekick. And now it sounds as though you have a new sidekick. I do, but they're so different. I mean, I can see similarities. I love bulldogs, obviously, right? Um, because they have this boss attitude, which I adore. <laughs> um, and it gives me a run for my money. But Mercy was very, she was kind of just like, yeah, I love you, but like, give me space. You know, she, she was, was like a cat. She, was so she wanted love on her own terms. Yes. And then Maverick, he's like super glued to my body. He's such a mama's boy, needs constant attention, but um, he's so protective of me just like she was. Isn't that beautiful? I love it. So you're a child of multiple blended families. Mm -hmm. You have a fur baby for your own child. Yeah. So how did you first come to your yoga practice? How did you decide to then take it to the next level to be a teacher? Mm -hmm. And then looking at your life from afar and, and not knowing you in person, it's also you're, you've developed an incredibly holistic approach. It seems to me that you are very much focused on mind, body, mm -hmm. and spirit and connecting those three to put your best foot forward. If I had to guess that, no, it's true. but how did that all start and come about? Um, well, my first yoga class that I ever took was a Bikram class down in Norwood, Massachusetts, is at a gym. Is that why the studio was so hot today? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, it's toasty. Well, I, my body likes hot weather. I don't know why I don't live on an island, honestly. But um, that was, Bikram was hot. 
Um, Why did they do that? Like, um, I'm not sure, like, because there's so there's such a diverse audience that listens to this podcast. Like, so if we say Bikram and we have a general idea of what it is, most people might not. So Bikram is another style of yoga. Um, so they focus, They, I think typically, I'm not a teacher of it, I just know from taking classes, but they have uh, set 26 postures. And I believe there's three levels to each of the postures. And it is typically heated because... Um, it's a little bit more strenuous, if you will. So the heat helps the muscles to loosen up a little bit quicker. Um, Now, with my studies, you know, way back in the day when yoga was created, the practice would happen very early in the morning to avoid the heat in India. We're talking thousands of years ago. Yeah. Thousands. Do we know how long ago? Like, is it 10,000? The rough estimate you see is usually like five. Five? Five plus. Um, but, you know, you'd wake around like 3 a.m., 3, 4 a.m., and do your pranayama, your breath work, because the air is the purest, um, less pollutants in the air. And you don't want to practice your breath work in front of a fan or with incense going or anything that you could possibly take in through your nasal passages, because that is going to affect your body. So then you come into the asana, which they would practice, you know, when the sun is still down. Um, to avoid the heat because it gets very, very hot. So to me, having this knowledge um, in my studies, I'm like, why am I going to go to a class that's heated to 90 degrees? (laughs) 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 But I mean, like, sure, it can feel good on your body. Mm -hmm. Um, But what drew you to that first class the first time? And Bikram's a pretty heady Mm -hmm. class to take on, right? It's... what drew me? I think um, I didn't really know anything about yoga. We did you go by yourself? And how old were you? I took you? a friend. I was oh boy, twenty three, maybe. I think twenty three, twenty four. I took a friend with me, and um, we died basically. It was really hard and hot and slippery, and but it was cool. And you leave and you're just like, wow, my body feels good. It's a certain euphoria. Oh yeah. Sure. That runner's high that everyone yes, chases. Exactly. Um, so I kind of went in blind. It's not like I was seeking out Bikram. I mm-hmm. think I just stumbled upon it um, and I went. So I did that a few times. And then I tried some gentle yoga, which I really enjoyed. But then what really got me was this class that I took. Um, it was Kripalu yoga. I've only ever heard about it. Yeah, so Kripalu is a beautiful center out in Western Mass, but they have their own style of teaching as well. Um, I'm not sure if it was originated there or not. So it's it's a newer rendition. It's not, it's derived from something very ancient. Yes. Um, Is it American or did it come from? I don't know, honestly. I'm not sure. I don't want to give wrong information. No, I love when people say Um, they don't know. Yeah, yeah, but... I took this class with the teacher and I kind of sat towards the back and something about it, just as I was sitting there, I felt so seen in a way that I hadn't felt in maybe ever. Um, Did you say seen? Yeah, seen. Just um, fully accepted, just able to be in my body. To Would you say present? present. 100% present. And it, that gave me just this invigorating feeling inside of like, wow, there's another 
there's another side. Like there's another way <laughs> to operate my life. And that was the class that had me start seeking out to train, to learn more. Do you think that that power inside of yourself that you connected to in that moment, isn't that kind of what you were talking about, love? Yeah. Self-love, yeah. to acknowledge that you are worthy, you are good enough to love yourself. Yeah. I just think we don't, we're not able often to, to see it within ourselves. You know, there's like this veil with everything that has happened to us or we've had, you know, some traumatic events and there's things that we just can't see past. Ironically, as children, I think that oftentimes we're led away from it, mm. you know, okay. to toughen up as children, to wall up our hearts, to... Mm. And to me, I think that's one of the biggest tragedies of our humanity is that we disconnect our children at such a young age we do. you know crying don't cry right. you're okay you're mm -hmm. fine right forcing this this knowing upon them you know instead of letting them have their own experience and i think that i get sidetracked a little bit kind of plays into not being a parent for me um, I've never really had the urge to be a parent, I'll say honestly, but, um, I think there's also this massive obligation that comes when you birth children of, wow, these are humans. And have you, humans. <laughs> they are human. Have you, sometimes they're humans <laughs> as a sometimes. mom, but have you made that conscious decision not to have children or is it something that kind of just came little by little? I've just always known that it wasn't in the cards for me. And how, like, to me, how beautiful is it that you're strong enough mm. to align with your own heart and to know that regardless of what anyone thinks or says or mm. casts, it doesn't matter. Like, to me, that's love. To be, to align with yourself and to res resonate with what you're feeling. Self-love is something that's so undervalued. Um, mm. And I think that we've equated self-love with ego in narcissism. And they're two, two totally different things. And for me, um, when I came to yoga, it's so funny to hear you describe your experience because yoga is like a bridge for me. Yeah. And um, I practice in solitude because it's I have so much body shame and mm -hmm. self-awareness that like for when... I'm alone with yoga, I find myself able to go deeper yeah. and to kind of, you know, that, that space when you're, you're, you, your mind disconnects, mm -hmm. like it's not like standing over your shoulder watching like, oh, you're not deep enough or, oh, your back's curved or this or that. Like yes. if you can get that past that point in yoga and for me, it's through breath work that gets me there or chanting, which chanting took me years to not feel silly. And if I'm with someone doing chanting, I giggle and like I'm like back in middle school, like I can't, I can't own it as something beautiful that it is. That's not so bad because so chanting brings up emotional power and so joy, that's what you're feeling. When joy is not bad. No, <laughs> Just so when we laugh and giggle, it feels good. It feels so 
Um, yeah, I love chanting. And I actually started a, my own um, sadhana practice. What is it? So I, it's sadhana. Such like satnam or no? No, it's S A D H A N A sadna. Okay. So basically, it's um, it's a devotional practice, and so I choose to do this every morning. My alarm goes off at five thirty, and on the days that I teach, which are Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I get right up and I go and do it. On my other days that I don't have to teach in the morning, it comes a little bit later in the morning, but. My sadhana includes um, breath work, mm-hmm. um, a meditation. Um, I have a certain two certain chants that I recite for about six minutes, and then um, a reading out of a book that I can't think of the name, but it might come to me. And so I do this every morning. And how long have you been doing that? Is it so? My sadhana I've been doing for about two months. Um, I have a daily breathwork practice and an evening meditation practice that I've had for years. But I just decided it was time to step it up. I was feeling very called to deepen, um, to deepen more into love. You know, love not in the way of I love you or any sort of like possession. But a love of self, a love of being, a love of um, lightness, and what can I, how can I be more of a light um, and just exude more kindness and compassion so that other people might just be like, wow, it feels good to be around her. You know, like, I want to do this for somebody else and just kind of, I don't know, start that little train of let's be better. Do Do you like movies? I do. Do you watch movies? I'm not a huge TV person, honestly, but like now that my boyfriend and I, we bought a place together. Um, oh, congratulations. Thank you. We, we watched the movies. Yeah. So my son years ago, uh, excuse me, uh, brought to me this movie. He said, Mom, this movie is amazing. And there's a point to this because okay. I also get sidetracked. Yeah. But it was um, Dan in Real Life with Steve Carell. Okay, if you haven't watched this, it has the best soundtrack. It's okay. about a family that has a summer home in Rhode Island, okay. and they're all older, and they're gathered to close down the house for the for the winter. But they're older children, and they have their own children, so there's okay. three generations, I think, and it's filled with this amazing cast of actors. But Steve Krill's daughter, he's widowed, and he has three young daughters in the movie and the middle child is um i think she must be like a freshman in high school she started dating so her boyfriend (laughs) takes a bus and sneaks to rhode island to join them and they're caught kissing by the younger cousins and (laughs) steve carell flips a nutty and there's this awesome line in the movie and um Steve basically, Steve Carell's character basically yells across the yard to the daughter that you don't know what love is, right? And she flips out and then her boyfriend says, um, or he says, you don't know how to love. Mm -hmm. And the boyfriend says, the young boyfriend says, excuse me, sir, love is not 
in action, it's an ability. <laughs> so, right? Like, so, but everything you're saying about love and that place that you're trying to get to or expand to or grow into, I think that if we can stop thinking about love as an action we take and maybe consider that love is something we are. It is. It's something that we are. Um, and I think... Or can be. Or... We, we, are. we are born in love. We already are. We're, so Casey and I, I have to, like, we're both so, I have this shoulder that's been bothering me. We are like, um, we can even raise these, Casey. We're on the base, we're in the basement of this very old building. You probably heard there's a storefront above us. We should do a shout out. It's Daisy. Daisy Jeans. Daisy Jeans. I love it. I've been shopping there since in my 20s. Not a lot. <laughs> but the studio is in a basement in York, and it's an old, old building. And Casey yeah. and I are on the floor, and we're laying on our stomachs, and my, my shoulder was starting to, like... I know. I feel like I'm, like, 90. Where is these? Oh, can I tell you? So, um, so I'm going to say Elizabeth's name. She listens to the podcast. Hi, Elizabeth. But she was... She did the she did the class with me, and then we left, and we went to the bagel basket, mm. which is an old haunt. But I said to her, I said, do you know what I love about that class that we just experienced? There were women in the class that were older than us. I'm older than Elizabeth, and then the women, I believe, some were close to my age or a little bit older. I said, Elizabeth, I love how those women are present and in shape and taking care of themselves like that gave me like such like a reminder that like we're worthy as we age to take care of ourselves it's not about oh i'm gonna let go and give up or i'm just gonna let things go i just it was beautiful and they were all you walk in and they're all so welcoming Mm -hmm. and from different it's just I think sometimes people have this perception of yoga studios as everyone coming in the same gear, everyone having the same bodies, the same hairstyles, usually all women, very few men. And the times that I've been, oh gosh, I always say this wrong. Do you know this about me? I can't get the name straight. I always reverse it. (laughs) Is, Is it yoga? It's yoga on York. Yoga on York. So every time that I've come to a class at yoga on York, it's, it's, the class itself, it's people of all different backgrounds, yes. and it's it's comforting. It's comfortable. It is, and that's what I really love about the studio. Um, I teach at a lot of studios. I kind of I bounce around a lot for my retreat business, um, but I always love to say to students, I try to make jokes out of it. Like no one cares what you look like, <laughs> you know, because really, if you're if you're in your space, and that's why I invite students to close their eyes for as much of practice they feel safe to do so, right? That's important that they feel safe. Um, But close your eyes because just shutting off that one sense is going Mm -hmm. to help you deepen into feeling your breath, hearing your breath, moving your body gently the way it needs to go. Um, And I love that about this space. It is, it's very welcoming. Um, so you, you teach here. So you came, where did you get your training and what did that look like? when you finally decided you were going to be a teacher? Yeah, so I did my training through a program that no longer exists, actually. It was called Yoga NH. So the um, the leader, if you will, um, her name is Maureen, who I still talk to to this day. She had four studios in her program. Um, there was Concord, New Hampshire, Nashua, Portsmouth, 
and somewhere up north, maybe Littleton. And so we would train every Monday night together at my studio. I did Concord. Mm -hmm. And then we had like a four-day intensive, a three-day intensive. I would bounce and do some trainings in Nashua. And to become a teacher to or is this a teacher. okay? Yeah. And I feel extra lucky with who I had for my main teacher, um, Beth Amy, who she trained in India and very uh, much Ashtanga lineage. Mm -hmm. And she was big on chanting. And so. Did you have a hard time acclimating to chanting or? Yeah. You just, you seem like you have a natural connection to it. It just, you know, I say to people when I talk about what for you brings up the strongest emotion. And for me, when I chant or when I read out loud, whether it's to myself, to Maverick, to my students, I get this sense of, it's like a big hug. Um, and just a deep exhale. I just love it so much. It fills me with so much joy and comfort and peace. So I am constantly, I'm very much a type A person, very much a go, go, go person, which is why my practice, my personal practices are crucial. Mm -hmm. for my, uh, Do you practice daily self? outside of teaching? Um, or what does that look like for postures? you? Because or I imagine teaching a class is very different than yeah. practicing. Yeah. So I teach between like six to seven classes a week and a couple workshops. Casey, I feel like that's a lot. Is that a lot? That's a lot, but I used to teach 18 classes a week. So 18 classes a week? And then so multiple a classes a day. Oh, yeah, because I was trying to get my business going. So, you know, and I have a lot of new teachers that ask me, they're like, oh, I want to run retreats. I'm like, okay, well, where are you teaching? Like, well, I'm teaching one class here. Like, you need to Can, like 10. So this is, I don't want to, so are you familiar with Reiki? A little bit. I'm not a practitioner, but yeah. So back, back when I first encountered Reiki, there were very few Reiki masters. Mm. And it was, a, it was a very different experience than it is now. And I think for good, there's good that's happening now. But I think when something becomes widely available, like suddenly everybody's a Reiki master. Yeah. Like I'm Reiki level two, but I cannot, I, I don't call, I'm not called to it mm -hmm. to be, a, to go to the next level of mastery or to become a practitioner. I, I feel like the first yoga class that I took, it, I, I don't even know the terms, but it was this gentleman and he had like the white wrap um it looked like a okay. oversized like a sarong type of yes but it, it almost looked like a diaper okay and then he had the headwear the okay. white wrap on yes. and it was very deep and intense mm -hmm. kundalini did you take kundalini you know that's the yoga i practiced but back then it was i did one and done and my body had such a reaction to it that it scared me and I walked away for 15 years mm. in that moment like it was like like the first time you see auras you're like, yeah. <laughs> like so then you block it out but I think what I'm trying to say and I'm wondering about is it's good that yoga is so readily available now yeah. but in that it's so 
available to become a teacher? Like, is it is it a mandatory two hundred hours to become a teacher? How does that work? Nowadays, yes. Um, I know there's people out there that didn't do the two hundred hour and they're teaching, but typically that's an arrangement that's made with the studio owner. Um, but Yoga Alliance kind of came around and made it a thing where you have to be a two hundred hour. And then what about, like, because if you think about, and I'm not sure if you're familiar this, with this, but the book Outliers, where the premise that anyone to gain a mastery of something, it's 10,000 hours. Right. Which is a, this is a struggle. It's pretty heady, right? That's like, a lot. That's a lot. And a lot of yeah. yogi. So it's kind of something, it's not that I think there's a right or wrong in this situation, but it often makes me wonder that. I guess for me, it's more important that if you're if you're studying below someone, that it's important to know who you're studying below. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? No, it does. Um, I think there's this image, right, of what teaching yoga is, and I think so many people strive to feel just a little bit more settled, a little bit more peaceful inside. Mm -hmm. And so we have this connotation of, okay, well, if I practice yoga or if I teach yoga, then that's just going to come a little bit easier. Um, but we minimize the amount of work that actually goes into it. And so I think now there's profitability in so many things. So there's profitability in running teacher training programs. So a lot of so it's yoga's become a business. And I think that's yeah. a lot of the kickback that is happening right now. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely very saturated, um, where I think every studio is offering a training program, which is great for people that, even if you don't want to be a teacher, t you can take the program and learn a lot. 200 hours of anything. I mean, yoga is all about going deeper into a practice, so 200 hours is beneficial, right? It's beneficial, but there's a lot of self-study that needs to be happening, in my opinion. Um, you know, I did my training and I was teaching before I finished, you know, because I knew I just had this knowing inside of like, I'm supposed to be doing this. I'm meant to be a teacher. And mm -hmm. so I went, I went marketing myself, I went to the beach and I'm like, hey, I don't have my certificate yet. I know what I'm doing. I've been studying. Like I'm a big anatomy nerd. I'm big on the brain. Um, so I'd market myself. And so I started teaching. I started getting I was getting experience in every which way that I possibly could. And then I dove into some other trainings. I didn't go into my 300 hour, I've actually never done it. But um, I did Love Your Brain, which is 50 hours of t learning to teach yoga to TBI survivors. So what is TBI? Traumatic brain injury survivors. So nine times out of 10, I'll say, you know, somebody with a TBI is walking around completely normal, right? And they are normal. It's just they have this injury. Mm -hmm. But when they come to class, without having that discussion, how would the teacher know that certain accommodations need to be made? So some things would be, you know, their neck should stay straight, as opposed to coming into like cow pose, where we open the throat and extend the head up. They're going to keep their head straight. It's important to mirror the students. So if I say, okay, we're going to lift our right arm to the sky, I'm taking my left arm to the sky. So oh, I noticed like that. Okay, so I have zero coordination. And I did notice that you mirror. 
and how much how helpful that was today like yeah i try to do it as much as I you can. did do it because a lot of times and so i'm quite older than you when i was in high school it was the big jane fonda aerobics <laughs> yeah. and like all of like the shiny yes. unitards with the leg warmers oh my gosh it was such a thing but for me, even though after taking dance for eight years, I'm just certain people are not born with a natural grace. So it's for me, it's that extra effort in that, that seeing something and I'm, but anyways, I picked up immediately that you were doing the mirrored and that, that is a huge thoughtful gift and um, helpful, like incredibly helpful. Well, and it's like, I don't want to sound like, I think that I, I believe there's no right or wrong or should or shouldn't in life. Like, I think we get caught and trapped up by society when we lean into those things. Um, it's just so, it's just curious to me, even like podcasting, everyone, everyone does podcasts now, right? And not all of us are ever going to reach you know, like Joe Rogan's status with like the largest audience in the world, or nor should we, right? Like, well, see, and that's exactly it right there. Um, because I've had this conversation so many times with, you know, good friends or my boyfriend, and you, like Dave and I talk about this a lot. And I think it's great if more people want to learn about yoga or, you know, become Reiki attuned and things like that. Um, Those are lovely actions to take. They're lovely actions, but with everything else, there's an ebb and a flow. So there's so many people that, in my opinion, that are here to be teachers. Mm -hmm. There's going to be double that amount of people that want to be teachers, but maybe that's not their path. But it doesn't mean that they can't try. It just means that after the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? The shiny after the shiny dolls, after, after it becomes the still. shiny dolls, then I think the people who are meant to be doing these things are just, they're going to be so rooted, so solid in their practices and they'll continue to do them. And there's going to be other people that just fall off. And this is like the natural ebb and flow of life. It's your life cycle. And there are different personalities. Like yeah. within my lifetime, I'm a serial entrepreneur. I've owned eight of my own businesses. I've worked and built a lot of startups for other people, as mm -hmm. well as in between having small businesses or working in startups, it's very volatile. So I fall back on my restaurant experience to fill the holes or fill the gaps. Like my lifestyle, my history would make other people run for the hills. Like certain people need stability and need that assurance that they're going to wake up, their job's going to be there, and it's going to be what it was the day before. We're all different in what we need to be whole and what fulfills us. And I think what you said so eloquently is that when yoga's not new, but it's getting a lot of attention. Yeah. And I think it's since the 60s, I think, is when it yeah, came it over. Came California, yeah. Came, it always comes from California. Course, <laughs> and it moves across. And I think that if that's what's coming across the country and growing and expanding, how lucky are we? The more people that get involved in yoga practice, the more people that want to teach yoga, the more people that want to go on retreats, which we need to talk about because yes, yes, yes. that's a huge part of who you are. Yeah. And I want to go to Belize. Like, that's like I um, went scuba diving in Mexico, and that's when I caught the bug that, oh, my gosh, I need to do this in Belize. Right. Well, um, second largest barrier reef in the world. 
it is supposedly like the top spot yeah. for scuba diving and snorkeling. So you became a teacher. Yes. You were practicing 18 times a week, and that's not even your teaching. No, I was teaching. And then did you do your own practice with that as well? Did you have time to do your own practice? There's no way. Then I did not have time. So what my path was, I marketed myself to teach to places before I was even certified. I I showed my... Is that legal? I mean... Is it gray area? No, probably not. (laughs) But this is, you know... It was back in the day. Back in the day. So it was a lot but um, but then as time went by, I had to show, you know, you have to demo and you have to show your certifications and things like that. Um, Is that when you join a new studio? Are you supposed to do that? Like, how do you... When you join a new studio. Typically, like, yeah, the owner would be like, I need to see your yoga certificate, CPR training, um, credentials, references, things like that. And then that. do you do a class with the owner typically or a few classes? Yeah. Yeah. Just so they can see like, okay. They have their own voice. They can speak clearly. They're not acting dangerously. They'll be able to teach humans. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was teaching at a few different studios, and I was picking up, you know, like the 6 a.m. classes, the late night classes, because I was working a corporate job still. Um, I, I trained in um, – I have three degrees. I have a degree in fashion merchandising. Uh, my bachelor's in business administration and my master's in health management. So a lot of very different type of experience. I've worked in real estate. I've done everything. Um, but I always knew I was a boss. Like I, uh, you have the entrepreneur spirit. I just, I love to work alone. I have people join in Mm -hmm. my retreats and things like that. But like knowing that this is my baby, I've created this. I'm going to protect this. Mm -hmm. Just it's something I need. But also the responsibility and the well-being of the business ultimately falls on your shoulders. 100%. Yeah. Which is okay. Um, So, yeah. So I started teaching and then I was working in corporate hated my job. It was the type of job like you go into the bathroom and you cry. I would cry every day because I, I just, I was so disconnected from it. Um, so I was like, you know what? I'm just going to send out my resume to go teach somewhere else in the world. In the world? So I sent out three resumes. I did Australia, India, and I think it was Sweden. I heard back from India within a couple of days. I had a, a um, did we use Zoom at the time? We did some video. <laughs> what year was it, Casey? Was it WhatsApp? <laughs> this was in 2013. I don't even know what we had for our communication about that. I think we were, we were, we had FaceTime and Zoom. We had, what was it called? It doesn't matter, but yeah, so, so you I'm connected trying. with India. Yeah, and I was like, so on the fence, but I was leaning towards it. The only reason I was leaning out of it was because I was fearful. I was like, oh my God, like I went to school. I had this big student loan. I studied to do this. What are you doing? You have a consistent paycheck, mm-hmm. you have benefits. And I was like, you know what? I'm so unhappy. I'm just going to try. And it was to the point I was sick. I, I was like, really, really, really encroaching upon adrenal failure. Um, I stopped getting my periods. 
I always had the stomach bug. I was so stressed out from this job and I took it. I was like, you know what? I'm going. And a month before I was supposed to leave, I was going to give a one month notice. Mm -hmm. I got laid off. And the universe spoke. (laughs) Oh my God. So I'm sitting there in my exit interview. And I remember the HR manager, she was like, well, you don't seem to be that upset. Like, are you okay? Are you in shock? I'm like, this is actually perfect. I was like, it's all going to work out. And so I had a month that I could just decompress, taught some yoga classes, and then I left. When that happened, was it like this huge weight lifted off your shoulders and you were able to, you know, like in yoga, you were able to extend your spine and like your crown? It's just like this music, the angels are heralding, like, you can breathe again. My shoulders fell from my ears. I slept better. Unclenched your fingers and your jaw. Yes. And I started, like, dabbling in Ayurveda, uh, which is the science of Indian medicine. Because, like, well, okay, I'm going to India. I'm going to learn as much as I can about the country and the policies and how to act like a respectful American and study their medicine. So I started diving into Ayurveda and cooking Ayurveda. So I'm pitta, almost 100%, a little bit of vata. Wait, is pitta fire? Yeah. yeah. It's always the petite, um, how do I say this? But Just say it. Pitta, you're, like, you're like your puppies, mercy. Totally. <laughs> and like you're just this, like you have this command. Yeah. And... It's, it's just going to happen. There's a fire inside. You have a goal mm. and a direction you're going to take, and that's what's going to unfold. Whereas, like, vatas, like, no, my mom no. used to call me, like, uh, like a butterfly, like, yeah. uh, like, like hurting cats, right? You're like a willow in the wind. It's just, yeah. I'll get there eventually. Yeah. But you know what? We need this. We need the pittas, and we need the vatas, and we need the kappas, and we need everybody... Because this is what makes the world beautiful, is having that difference. Um, I think, um, I don't even, this is this is digressing, but like the other day I found myself thinking about a tree. Mm-hmm. So, right, so like a kapha and um, not a pitta, what's the? Vata. A kapha and a vata, right? So the kapha being the roots that extend mm-hmm. deep into the ground solid. and allow the tree to be solid and upright and steadfast. And then the vata, you know, the little wispy branches at the end yes. that just are able to move very easily and like together, working together as one unit yeah. is like, it's beautiful. Like yeah. to have one without the other or, you know, not to have because aren't we all combinations yeah i mean really there's some people that are called tridosha so they have a pretty equal part of all three Mm -hmm. we all have a little bit you know in us um but your primary dosha would be you know say for you is vata me is pitta but i do have a, a tiny bit of vata and hardly any kapha but it also can change throughout your life it can change in certain environments where you live, the foods that you're eating, which is why it's really important to understand your dosha. Um, and dosha is what? So dosha is your constitution, or it's called prakriti. So it's kind of what makes you you. It's, it's your makeup, um, your physical structure, how your brain works, how you emote, 
um, your skin, your features, so many things. We're all um, so similar yet yeah. different beings. Yeah, which is so cool. Um, so I think it's good to have that knowledge. And there is a test that you can take, like a little quiz. I like the one on Chopra. So you can figure out what your primary um, is. it so Chopra.com? Chopra.com. And if you just type in um, Dosha quiz, you can take it. Oh, I wish we had more time. <laughs> so um, I feel like, Casey, you could probably do five episodes because we haven't, we've only just like brushed topics, but I think it's really important because what you're doing with your retreats, that's like a new buzz in yoga. Like I, it, I remember hearing about them like rarely or seldomly I would hear about a retreat um, I had a roommate a couple of years ago that went to Bali and became a teacher. Okay. She did her two hours, 200 hours in Bali to become a teacher. And I thought that's okay. That's incredible. That's right. Really cool. And then about that time, it was like, boom, 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 yes. boom, 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 boom. And like, again, so like it's free enterprise, right? Mm -hmm. So a new market opens, it's flooded. And then like what you said, or like what they taught us in business school, 10 people will have the same idea. Yep. Three people will actually take action. Two people will keep going and maybe one will be successful exactly. and steadfast. So I think that's one of those laws that applies to life in general. It's like, oh, sure. think about all the ideas creatively that are either reborn again yeah. or reclaimed. It's very difficult to come up with an original concept that hasn't been manifested in some shape way or form. So now we're in that beginning stage where retreats are the buzzword. And again, mm -hmm. there's such a large population of people that haven't experienced them. Right. So it can support a multitude of retreats. It certainly can. Um, but with individuals like yourself, yeah. how many years have you been doing retreats? I've been running retreats for eight years. So it's the eight years you've been doing retreats yeah. and just kind of like Give us an idea of the corners of the world that you've done mm -hmm. your retreats in. Oh, geez, retreats. Well, I've been traveling since my late teens, so I've been all over the world. I think I'm maybe I've been to like 31 countries at this point. But Have you um, done yoga in 31 countries? No, no, because <laughs> many of them I wasn't practicing at the time, I wish. Um, but so the furthest I've gone, maybe I've held retreats in Sri Lanka. Um, I worked for a retreat center in India. Um, Spain, Sicily, um, New Zealand. That was for fun. I didn't do yoga there. You've done Mexico. Uh, Mexico, Costa Rica, Florida, Montana. Um, I'm going, oh, I did Ireland, Egypt, Kenya. Um, next year I have Belize, Vancouver, Kenya, Vancouver, which I'm pumped about, um, Tuscany and Bali. And then in 2025, I have France, Costa Rica, and then two that I haven't said yet. Are you going to name drop here or no? Are you going to hold them tight? I'm going to hang on a little bit. It's, longer. you know, it's so far off and it's a very competitive market. Well, that's the thing. I've run into some problems lately with, you know. Or let's call them opportunities for self-growth. <laughs> you know, for sure, they have been opportunities because I, so I, I was working with somebody on some of these and uh, we split. Um, 
Divorces, no matter how friendly, <laughs> there's always a little bit of rub with divorces, right? Yeah. So definitely I found that um, my a lot of my ideas, my information and writings were taken. Um, so I've had to pivot many times recently. And Do you know who the true masters are? The ones that find perfection in pivoting, those are the true leaders and who, and I think that when I was younger and, you know, my background is um, business development and marketing and PR Mm -hmm. and my creative strategy is kind of my like cornerstone of who I am as a business person. So it's that con. look, I just called myself a master, (laughs) like, but that constant like it's inside of me that need for reinvention for repurposing for like i get so when i start a business it's a puzzle it's a challenge it's limitless it can be anything that i want it to be that initial stage is like taking a drug you have a blank sheet of paper and the only thing limiting your business is your ability to imagine in the beginning but then as you start taking actionable steps towards your goals you quickly run into obstacles or timing issues or money issues and your business takes a shape that you might not have imagined but the gold or the beauty in it for me is when you're in that struggle and you can find a way around or I mean, hopefully, if you moving through is probably the most difficult um, to get to the other side, to get to, to move through fear mm-hmm. and lack and uncertainty and doubt and get to that other side, you have such an expanded perspective or vision of what's in front of you. Mm-hmm. I think that many times, like on social, social media, kind of like magnifies this issue that we're kind of talking oh, about. So like when I'm doing marketing on social media, there's how many eyes on it, right? So if it's working, would it make more sense for other businesses not to reinvent the wheel or to follow along and do something similar? I know. And it's, but it stings sometimes. It does, it stings. But also, Casey, it gives you that little prod to expand and to be bigger than you were yesterday and to reimagine yourself and to take your experience and your knowledge and your wealth and your power, your love and say, okay, right? Like I've been there, done that. It's very comfortable to be there to execute that, to re-execute that. It works. What am I going to do next? It's so true. I mean, I was definitely hurt, um, but I started, I had a couple of days where I was feeling kind of down about it and back and forth, but I, my, my practice helps me so much with just feeling, feeling the emotions and not reacting. To sit. To sit with Okay, everything. right? Yeah. To relax. Exactly. To sit within and yeah. then release. Yeah. It's the release part that we forget about. Oh, my God. The most important Like, we thing. feel the trigger. Mm-hmm. We are uncomfortable in the trigger. And then what do we do? We eat it and we store yes. it for another day. Yeah. And we cause cancer. We literally cause cancer and disease. Dis-ease, right? That's how we do it, people. We stuff it. (laughs) We eat our own stress. I'm glad. And it it did, like you said, it caused me to 
have to get my wheels spinning to really access my creativity again. And so I have so many things happening right now that. So your business is expanding. Oh my God. I I want to go to Bali. I want to go to Belize. We've already like mapped out the hours it would take to get to these places. And then like, okay, where would the dogs go? Yes. I think that Mm. I'm looking forward to one day, um, I practice Kundalini yoga. I'm not a master. I am even three years on point. I am not grace. My dad used to call me a bull in a China shop. My mom asked me after eight years of dance lessons, are you enjoying this? Because I was not like, it's, it takes a lot of um, focus for me with my body for, for serious reasons why I don't fill my body, why I try to escape it why I've always run from my body. Mm-hmm. It's another show. But yoga, yeah. and I would say more so the breath work, mm. has pulled me back in. Meeting you today and following you on social media and seeing what you've already done, the experiences you're giving and sharing. And I would say sharing because you're getting just as much as oh, you give. Sure. And these amazing, I saw you in front of the pyramids yeah. on a candle. On a candle? No, on a camel. On a camel. No, no, no. I do not a camel. I'm against that. I. Um, Were you with a camel? I have this image of you in my in mind. It was in the background. Yeah. So any retreat I run, there will be no animals included because I'm a huge animal advocate. So. Um, no riding. No riding. No horses. Horses. If I so in Montana we rode horses, but um, I could attest to the health and the quality of the horses and how they were raised. Mm-hmm. Uh, other countries, I would not do so. And I think that's important. And I think that's another thing that separates or gives opportunity to different teachers entering mm-hmm. the field is that we're all different. Mm-hmm. We all have different strengths and weaknesses. And it's very important to resonate who you're to resonate with who you're studying with. Yes. And I think yes. that's the beauty in what happens in a free society enterprise as much as sometimes it stings competition is very powerful but it can also sting yeah it can sting for sure but you know what i think it just it gives us that little nudge um that we often need to just get those wheels turning again there's and it's about growth Mm -hmm. so there's one last thing i know that we're probably at an hour but Another place that you and I intersected, and I have no idea if you even know this or not, like all of these ripples you've kind of made and that the ripples that you've made have touched my life. Um, so I had some issues with my digestive system and kidney failure um, and had discovered I went to um, an acupressurist who also did Chinese medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when I learned why why we shouldn't eat sugar, processed sugar, and natural sugar to some extent. It has the same um, ramifications, but then also what dairy does mm-hmm. or doesn't do, and then gluten, what it does and doesn't do. And I think a year being gluten, dairy, sugar-free, and doing kundalini yoga at the same time, I became a different person. Oh, yeah. I thought yeah. I at the end of the year, I became immortal after having two kidney surgeries. And Mm-hmm. So when you become immortal, you think nothing can touch you. Mm-hmm. So I started cheating again. And to this day, I still cheat. And 
but the difference is now my body reacts so quickly and I know exactly what I've done yes. that has brought me back to that misery, that pain, that uncomfortable feeling, mm -hmm. sleepless nights, foggy brain. Um, for me, you were talking about the breath work, oxygen, uh, how would you say that? Oxygenating. Your blood. Mm -hmm. So what happens with me is my um, body doesn't produce enough blood cells, so it pushes them out too quick, so they're mm -hmm. misshaped. So then they're not carrying the proper amount of oxygen. So mm -hmm. um, my um, fingers, my toes, always cold. Um, parts of my body will go asleep, will fall asleep. But if I'm breathing, if I'm moving, if I'm exercising, if I'm eating whole foods, veggies, fruits, lean proteins, a lot of nuts, a lot mm -hmm. of seeds, and then my... My number one um, thing that I leaned into was turmeric and golden milk. Yes. And that got me through a lot. Yeah, such good stuff. And you have created um, a few times. Um, how, what would you call that? Like you give it to me and I in these little containers. So I just call it golden milk. Um, just to preface, so I'm also a clinical herbalist. Um, and I've been working with herbs for a couple decades, just personal healing. And I decided, you know, I need to just get some proper training so I can actually talk to people and not feel like I'm steering them in the wrong direction. So that was why I did the training. Um, but golden milk, so it's a beautiful Ayurvedic blend of um, powders. And you add them in, you could add them into warm milk. I like mine in the morning. I add it into hot water with That's some lemon. That's what I do. And you can even add some coconut oil um, if you want, like the fat carrier. But in my golden milk, I do, it's all organic powders, um, turmeric and black pepper, because you need the black pepper to help your body absorb the turmeric. Um, I put a little bit of kava kava, which is a relaxant. Um, maca root, I would typically put in it. I don't put that in yours. I think maca is the one we skip for yours. I had I know there, well, I don't remember, but there was one thing that I said, thank I you, no, no thank you. <laughs> no maca. It's delicious. It has like this caramel taste to it. Um, maca is wonderful for fertility. Oh, yeah. Um, that's why I said for, thank you, no thank right, you. Right, <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I also add in ginger, which is a nice warming agent. Um, and cardamom, cinnamon. And I think that's it. What are the, what are the little round spice balls? So that's actually black pepper balls. Those are black pepper black balls? Black pepper balls. So that mixture, so turmeric is so good for the liver mm -hmm. and digestion and um, processing yeah. your foods. Um, so that, that has been, um, I, I bring that, um, especially when I've gone astray in my eating or my practice, physical practice, I bring that to kind of flip the switch yeah. and I drink it with hot water and it, it's a warming sensation and it just it's just a reminder to me that you know take care of yourself yeah that's my job yeah. is to get up each day and do something for myself and i've lately i've been focusing on my three bodies so my mental my physical and my spiritual because in the past i would focus on one or two at best and leave the other one behind and i've realized what a disservice this that is to my whole being and for whatever, we're all individuals. So for me, for my mind, it's reading and writing. Mm -hmm. 
for um, spiritual practice for me, it is the mantras that I have that I've learned and grown with. And then also um, being outside. The ocean for me is very much spiritual. Gardening is spiritual for me. Um, Cleaning the yard, moving rocks, like tidying the outside goes a long way. And then physical is um, getting on the Peloton or Mm -hmm. yoga. And I think giving myself permission not to take care of myself today. I had to change it from 120 days, 30 days goals, right? Like 40-day Kriya. Like that doesn't work for me because if I don't make it, I just fall into like a little bit of darkness. But if I say I'm going to take care of myself today, that's all I'm going to worry about. Present moment. Every moment. Yeah. This has been so lovely. So can you please, because I know a lot of people are going to want to get to know you better. Can you kind of talk about in closing, like, can they find you on Facebook, on Instagram? Do you have a website? Where are the studios that you practice? If they want to go to Bali with you, like <laughs> what steps do they take yeah. do, to do that? Because um, as I was coming in, a woman is joining you on her uh, on your Africa retreat. Yeah. And she was like, I just have some questions about Kenya. And I said, that sounds so glamorous. It does, like, yeah. How amazing is that? Um, yeah, so I have a website, um, which is caseyharnady.com it's k-a-c-y h-a-r-n for nancy e-d-y.com my instagram handle is caseyharnadyyoga and facebook is casey's sacred space um but if you put in like even just my name i usually pop right up there's not a lot of people with my spelling um so for i teach Mondays at Yoga on York, 9.30 Vinyasa, 11 o'clock Yin Yoga. Tuesdays I teach 9 a.m. Level 1 at Bryony and Body in Exeter. Tuesdays at 11 I teach a slow power yoga at Riverside in Newburyport. Wednesdays I teach 9.30 Vinyasa at the Yoga Tree in Haverhill, Massachusetts. And then 11 o'clock Unwind, which is very gentle, restorative with meditation at IHR Wellness in Haverhill, Massachusetts. And I do private lessons um, on Zoom or in person, which could be asana. It could be just breath work. It could be meditation. um, It could be creating your sadhana practice, your devotional practice. And um, for retreats, all the signups are through my website. So when you go onto my website, I just actually revamped a bunch of it all by myself. I'm so proud. (laughs) So if you scroll down just a tad, you see a bright pink button. Um, it says, you know, check out retreats here. Then there's a picture there of palm trees and like a swirly, all the places I'm going. So you can just click there and it'll take you to a page that has all of my locations that I've publicized right now. Mm-hmm. You can click on the individual page and it'll give you all the information. You can submit your deposit. You can email me if you have questions. Um, and I take care of everything else. I'll send you the forms you need to do and everything. So what is, you know, what we didn't talk about. What mm-hmm. is everything else? I know you're doing a retreat where I grew up this weekend coming up. In Brattleboro, Vermont. So yeah. she's going to be just outside of Chesterfield. And I'm sure it's in a beautiful inn yeah. and it's foliage. Mm-hmm. So what can people expect? You have weekend retreats. You have seven day, 14 day. 
So seven day would be seven night. Eight seven day night. would be the max. Um, I haven't dabbled with more than that. So I do weekend retreats as well. So this weekend coming up, Brattleboro, Vermont is a Friday to Sunday. Every June, I do a weekend retreat on Star Island, part of the Isle of Shoals uh, out of Rye, New Hampshire. That's every June. The dates are not posted yet because I don't have them. And then my other trips are typically international, which would be, I think Tuscany is six nights, Belize is five nights, but my others would be seven nights, eight days. And then people can extend their trips because they're responsible for their own airfare. And, but what do you expect on a retreat? Is it mm. daily yoga practice? Is it meal? Um, is it healthy yeah. intake for your meals? Is it? Yes. So on a yoga retreat, what you would expect is a morning practice. I always open with breath work, pranayama. We go into asana and I close with a meditation. The evening would be a relaxing practice such as restorative yoga, yin yoga. It might be a deep guided meditation um, or something else more fun or something else that's fun, not more fun. Um, your meals are always included. So most places have three meals. There's certain countries that only do the two meals. Like mm -hmm. Tuscany is a brunch and then dinner. But they would be all very healthy meals. So I myself am gluten-free and dairy-free. So I give those options on a retreat. You will not find meat on my retreats. Um, Kenya, we will have some locally caught fish in some of the meals. Um, but that's pretty much it. But for vegetarians, there is usually dairy. There's eggs yogurts, things like that. Um, and the meat piece is, you know, uh, um, as a practicing yogi, I also never really enjoy meat, but as a practicing yogi, you know, ahimsa is very important to one of the first yamas, which is, you know, kindness and love to all beings. Um, and acceptance. Yeah. So that's something that you will not find. Um, but Wait, you won't find kindness and acceptance? You won't find meat. Okay, well, I just want to find Casey. You will always find kindness. You will find, find ridicule and, oh like, goodness. shaming. You'll never want to come again. Um, no, and then during the day, there might be some workshops. Um, some fun excursions are built in. But I also like to give free time. Because there's going to be some people that they're coming because they just need to relax. They need, need to get to away. Space. So I don't want to fill it up too much with all the to-dos, um, but there's always a ton of options. And I help plan those. Usually massage is always available, um, spas on site and things like that. So, And it's a great way just to connect with. And most of these people, are they coming solo or do they usually come with a friend? I would say the majority come solo. That's um, interesting and brave. Some people come with a partner. Some people come with a friend. Um, it is. You know, I think when people start their practice, for some people, it might just be like, hey, I've always wanted to go to Kenya. This is a great opportunity. It's planned for me. Fine. Some people or the majority of people, you know, they're looking for their community. And I think when you start practicing, you realize there's so many people out there that have the same goals as you, have the same intentions as you. And so it's beautiful. So on a retreat, you're just getting that community aspect tenfold because you're with these people every day. You mm -hmm. get to experience these beautiful practices and these healings all together, see different culture, travel the world, just experience what it's like to be in Africa and how people live. And to do some connectivity yeah. exercises while you're there. Exactly. It's pretty amazing. It is. Casey, you've been an amazing guest. Oh, thank you. you were very brave to accept my invitation. Not everyone does. <laughs> thank you. 
And for not having met before this, mm -hmm. I just want to express gratitude and your willingness and opening up oh, to share your story because it's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. So I um, hope to show up in some of your classes in the I future because so I did really enjoy it and I did um, experience some growth. <laughs> It was, it was fun. So um, thank you. And again, like if you want any more information about Casey, her herbal remedies, mm -hmm. her retreats, her yoga practice, um, CaseyHarnedy.com, K-A-C-Y-H-A-R-N-E-D-Y.com. And again, you can do a search on Facebook or Instagram and even as always, just reach out to me and I'll do a post um, with her information as well. But thank you and enjoy this rainy, foggy, yes. cold day in, in Maine. Happy Halloween. <laughs>